This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder, and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. My guest on the podcast today is Gary Gully of Alarmist Brewing here in Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to the podcast, Gary. Thanks, thanks for having me. Gary uh, you know, launched this brewery a few years ago, and then last year, in the first year of the uh, award for it, won a gold medal for a hazy, juicy IPA in that kind of category, and uh, kind of changed your life, huh, Gary? Yeah, the GABF, uh, yeah, it kind of uh, <clears throat> changed everything for us, so it was, uh, it was uh, amazing. So we're going to talk about some brewing here in a, in a few minutes, but, uh, but first, as the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling, G&D Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, reliability, and dedication to their customers' craft. For 25 years, G&D has led the way with innovative solutions for the craft brewing industry. Contact GD Chillers today at 1 800 555 or reach out online at gdchillers.com. Mention Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast, and you'll receive up to $1,000 worth of glycol with the purchase of any new GD Chiller unit. Also, let Tavor transport you to the craft brewery bar stools all across the country. They obliterate the geographical divide that prevents you from walking directly through the doors of any brew pub. Don't just read about life, drink it, download the free Tavor app, and get sought-after independent craft beer delivered right to your door. Use code BREWING for $10 in cold, hard beer money. So, Gary. I use a G&D chiller, and I've sent beer to Tavor. Have you? Yeah. They sold it really fast. (laughs) Well, I guess you should make some more, huh? Yeah. They keep asking. I'm like, I don't have enough, but yeah, I will. yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about Alarmist. You know, uh, tell me a little bit about how you got started in brewing. Um, so I started brewing, home brewing in '91. Um, I had a coworker. Oh shit, you're old. Yeah, I'm old, and uh, it was those were uh, it was very funny because I didn't really like beer back then. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> I had a coworker who. Uh, didn't like beer, huh? Yeah, because, well, you know, your bud, excuse me. Well, yeah, it was Bud and Miller, okay? I don't like those beers. But, um. Here in Chicago, or? No, I was in Texas, actually, uh, working okay. out of college and <laughs> a nuclear power plant, which is a whole funny joke in itself. And then, uh, I just got into it and I stopped for a while. And then, uh, kind of in the, like, 2008, I want to say, started, started up again. I don't even really know why. And then I joined the Chicago Beer Society, which is a very famous homebrew club, home of Randy Mosher and Ray Daniels and all these guys. And uh, Those guys are okay. Yeah. Ray actually lives just right over here, so it's funny. He's, he, yeah, I know him. He's a good buddy. But uh, we, uh, it just, I met other people, and uh, next thing you know, um, I, it, I was like, hmm, I wonder if I want to do this. And... Uh, and I was in my corporate America doing technology, and it just, uh, uh, through a series of events, uh, my wife, this is all blog, I used to blog about this, and people, it's funny because people still tell me they saw the blog. I apologize for anybody who does, because half the things on there are wrong, probably three quarters. But my wife had breast cancer, and I got fired from my job right around then, and a whole bunch of things happened. She's fine, she's totally fine now, but... Um, 
after all that, I was like, you know what? I'm not doing. I'm, I'm not working for anybody ever again, <clears throat> and I want to brew beer. So that's that's kind of so how you it launched Alarmist. Yeah, so I waited till I had a wife, two kids, and a mortgage in Chicago, and then quit my high-paying technology job and opened a brewery. So sure, what could be know. the risk? Yeah, right, exactly. Right. So. But yeah, that's kind of the really short version. Um, yeah, and so uh, how were the first couple of years of that? You uh, what, opened the doors in 2014? Uh, February 2015 okay. is when we started brewing. Uh, okay. The first two years were terrible. Um, yeah, <laughs> Ter- I mean, terrible. I mean, well, just, don't, don't pull any punches, Gary. Okay. We didn't have a tap room, which was a big mistake. Yeah. Uh, but that was, that was a fairly novel idea, actually. At least here in Chicago, there sure. weren't a lot of tap rooms. Sure. And a lot of established breweries didn't have them. Even and, today, uh, there are breweries like Pipeworks that don't have tap rooms, which yeah. just seems strange. But yeah, uh, well, that's a whole legal thing. But they're they're going to get that fixed. But um, that was a big mistake. And I, I did like a lot of people started with a you know bigger twenty barrel system. And I'm like, right. yeah, it's like if I brew it, they will come. And uh, I didn't have enough money to open a tap room. So it took a couple years to get that open. So that was sort of the first that, when that tap yeah. room door opened. That was the first when things started turning around. For was us. that 2017? That then? was April 2017. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, in retrospect, it seems like you know such a a, a no brainer, but I think yeah. you're absolutely right. Like, uh, you know, what we are looking at for the the business model for craft beer mm-hmm. is very different now than it was yeah. five years ago. Yeah. Incredibly different than it was ten years ago. Yeah. And the rate at which it continues to change, I mean, you know, what the expectations are, what brewers should be brewing and what consumers want to buy or line up for or, you know, routinely uh, traffic through, you know, a tap room for uh, changes probably every six to, you know, nine months at this point. It's mind boggling. It's mind boggling. But, you know, it's one of those everybody's got 2020 hindsight. If I were to do it over, I would have started with a smaller system and took that money you know any additional money and and open that tap room right away uh but then again now we've outgrown the system because of the metal and now we can't keep up with production at all so, so tell me about that i mean you know every, every brewer that i talk to talks about that moment or, or I should say the ones that have won those medals mm-hmm. world beer cup or great american beer festival yeah. those those two seem to be you know the gold standard if you will yeah. for the things that that the industry respects and mm-hmm. that consumers respect that local media respects and that start to build a story about holy shit where did this brewery come from <laughs> uh you know why haven't we been paying more attention exactly. to that exactly you know and so you you enter first year ever in the uh, hazy juicy yeah. category for yeah. uh, the great american beer festival yeah there's something there's 400 plus entries in this category yep. Uh, it's certainly the most entered first year category for any brand new category yeah. at the Great American Beer Festival. And, and second I, biggest ever. And second biggest ever yeah. in the history of the entire competition. Right, and so, right. you know, there's just, just a little bit of competition out here. Yeah. Um, so from a brewery perspective, you know, you decide you are making something that's good enough that can hang with all of those <laughs> so that you should spend your entry money on sending well, something in for that, yeah, which is, know. you know, I, I mean, but realistically from a brewery perspective, like, you know, most breweries that I know are carefully calculating their odds of winning sure. as they're entering competitions because yeah. it costs money to do this. It's $160 per a, entry. It's $160 yeah. per entry. Like, you know, you're not going to throw this money away. Right. And you also, you know, you look at the odds of a category like that and have to think, yeah. what's my chance of winning? 
like maybe I'm gonna make a field beer where there's 30, 30 entries for like you know your favorite pumpkin beer, and uh, you know the odds <laughs> in that category are gonna be immeasurably better right, than something right. like hazy IPA, yeah. you know. And so you know, you know, or you enter the smoked lager category, and you know, you know, there's there's twenty five <laughs> entries. Well, you know, obviously, the, you know, the odds shift in something like that. Sure. But you decided, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in in this category, which is probably gonna be. <laughs> One of the biggest ever in the history of GABF. Yeah. Uh, and, and tell me a little bit about what went into the thinking behind that. Well, um, we've been brewing it for about six months, actually, so it wasn't that long. Six, we were brewing. six months. I know. It's hilarious. <laughs> and uh, it's, I mean, the, the whole. You guys I are mean, old pros at this. To six give months. you a, kind of a little background, anyone who wants to go to our prop, I'm going to guess our Facebook page. I don't remember. Somewhere you can go back and you will see us literally making fun of hazy ipas uh we i think there's a point where we're pulling uh the trube out of the kettle after brewing and we've got like a glass full of trube and we're like hey we made a hazy ipa and we just thought we were funny oh man you're one of those breweries yeah i I talk about eating crow and then (laughs) uh really that where it changed for me uh i was at our big festival here called beer under glass which is a great festival we have every spring in chicago and I was talking to a friend of mine, BJ Pitchman, who used to be the brewer for Forbidden Root. Uh, he's since returned to corporate America. Sucks to be you, BJ. But he was talking to me, and I was I was drinking uh, someone's hazy IPA, and he and I said, I don't understand. Like, is this just not filtered? He goes, No, 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 no. And he starts talking about biotransformation and all these things and the yeast strain. He's like, You need to go research this. You need to brew this. And I'm like, Hmm. So I started tasting a few, and I'm like, I actually like these, and I'm not sure why. And it just took us, it just blew my mind. The whole thing just, I mean, the fact that we're sitting here talking about a hate, it just, it's so crazy. And then Aaron, my brewer, Aaron Dowell, he, uh, I told, I talked, one day I said, look, I think we should try this, and he did not want to do it. (laughs) And I had to, it was a, I had to draw a fine line between, it's my brewery, you're going to do what I want. And let's, you know, let's try to get him on board and say, let's, let's just explore it. And he, he went down that rabbit hole and he did not come out. He went to every local brewery. You know, we got Corridor Dry Hop who make, who also won uh, sure, for a sure. and they make great hazies and Maplewood, we brewed beer with Maplewood. And we just, we talked to, I don't know how many other breweries and Aaron really, really dug in and learned everything he could. And then he started making it, and then he loved it, and I loved it. I was like, I, I don't understand. Why do we like this beer? And then we started finding out more about it, and and then it changed. And it was already starting to take off for us. Uh, it, the, the sales were we, were, we were getting, you know, starting to be found out more and more. And then we... And the we beer is Le Jus. Le Jus, yeah. Le, Le Jus. Jus. Le Jus. The juice in French. And uh, I'm not even sure. That was Aaron's idea. And we were like, all right, fine, let's go. I think we were just trying to get the labels ordered. And I'm like, all right, let's get that in there. That's, that's good. Let's go. So uh, we got it. And then um, and then uh, that's the only beer we sent to JB. We didn't send any other beers. And, what? Uh, we, we sent, sent one that's beer. The only, we sent, sent Le Jus. And, you know, when we found out, we weren't there. And my phone started blowing up. Aaron's phone started blowing up. And we, we were just like, this is amazing. My wife cried. I called her. And I said, we won. And she's just crying. And I said, this changes everything for us. And it's, it's one of those life-changing moments. Because, you, you know, I know other brewery, you know, I've got some friends that want a, 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 one gold in, in a kind of, you know, like you were saying, a kind of a small category. Sure, like, yeah, sure. we didn't see any increase at all. And I'm like, 
yeah, <laughs> this is this is the big one, right? And we were absolutely blown away. We had no idea. We were so. I mean, and then it immediately just changed everything for us. Changed in what way? So, so what? More beer. What does winning a medal in a coveted category like that in that category actually mean for a brewery like yours in that category it did a whole lot of marketing for us um really fast and the the thing is we we were i was so frustrated because we hadn't entered a lot of competitions but a few but i just felt i thought we were making really good beer and i suppose everybody thinks that but i mean let's be honest there's a lot of breweries who don't make good beer and I thought, you know, we don't have off flavors. We're, we're doing a really good job here. And I just felt we weren't getting our due. And when that happened, that, that was like all of a sudden it went from zero to 100. And I'm like, finally, some recognition. Because, you know, I thought we're, you know, we were making some some really great beers. And and it happened. And but making, we couldn't be making, happier. Well, making great beer, it's more than just not having off flavors in a beer. You know, there's well, there's there's the technical sure. You know, there's the technical acumen of I that. I guess I guess my point with that is yeah. there are highly coveted breweries and beers that uh, I've had plenty of off flavors from, and it just it's it makes me scratch my head, and it's frustrating because it's sure. I, I want people sure. to know that this isn't how beer should taste. But at, but at this level, though, you know, for a gold medal at JBF, you want to expect that the beer is not just, f- you know, perfectly free of off flavors, but there is some inspiration and, and idea that's carried through in an expression of flavor that expresses some, you know, some sort of, uh, uh, you know, interest, excitement, vi- vibrancy, you know, and, you know, captures this kind of moment in time yeah. that uh, you know that kind of describes what's great about this style at this kind of moment. Well, you know, there should be some sort of like creative inspiration behind this, yeah. right? Josh Josh Knoll, who writes about beer for the Chicago Tribune, you know, once he found it, he came in and did an article on us, and he tasted it and his his uh, his uh, comment was it threads the needle, and I thought that was yeah. I mean, I felt it really threaded the needle of of what I think this beer should be, this style of beer, you know, at least for us. And uh, and it was really nice to be recognized because we don't put in nearly as much hops as most breweries do for this style, at least from from what I've t- people I've talked to. Yeah. And uh, because it tastes like hop soup, and I don't like that flavor. And uh, and so we we backed off uh, where we felt it was a better beer. And fortunately for that day and that time and those judges, it worked out. So I think that's an interesting piece. Now I'd love to explore it a little bit more. And I think I think you're right because I will admit that I'm on my fourth right now <laughs> uh, over the over the last like three hours yeah, of yeah. Uh, spending time here at the brewery yeah. and drinking four of of some other breweries hazy IPAs with right. that kind of residual sweetness and intense hop load um, could be overwhelming uh, mm-hmm. with you know with some other beers and so. Yep. Uh, certainly that was my experience with it. Like, you know, that first sip that I had when we were here at the tavern was like, Oh, okay. It's, it's good. And it, there's nothing about it that jumps out at me in a particular way. Right. But I really wanted to keep drinking it. Sure. And so I ordered another one and then I ordered <laughs> a, you know, the double dry, dry hop Simcoe version of it, which is what you're drinking right now. By oh, the way. All right. Well, then I ordered another double dry hop Simcoe because this is probably the fifth one now that I've had. <laughs> if, if we're really, you know, coming to grips with it. Yeah. They uh, come down easy. And there's, but there's something to be said for, you know, this kind of hazy, turbid, you know, rich hop forward IPA that mm-hmm. uh, presents in such a way that is still 
drinkable and compelling and makes you want to keep ordering another one. Yeah. From a brewery perspective, that's certainly exactly what you want because you know every brewery wants to sell people more beers and, sure. not, and not fewer beers. Tell me a little bit about how you think about that kind of balance. You know, balance can happen at so many different points along that spectrum. You know, we use balance as this kind of like de facto, you know. Yeah, you know, it's kind it's of balance, a wide open right? term. You know, it can mean a lot of different things, mm. and, but balance can happen all along that spectrum there. You've chosen to balance this at a drinkable level, or I should say a more drinkable level. Um, yeah, um, I mean, we went through, and I mean, we've always been about balance. Um, I got lucky when I found Aaron. We had known each other through a little bit of homebrewing, and uh, he was kind of in my shoes. He wanted to change a career. He helped me one day, and I realized this guy's a badass, and he's just taken off. And but we also had the same um, same sort of um, view on craft beer in general. Um, and I, I don't like dirty hop water, as I call it. And there's a lot of, you know, I think that's kind of done. But there are a lot of uh, breweries, including some that have gone out of business, that were making these just highly hopped regular West Coast IPAs that were just I just thought they were awful. And, and I always like balance and they make fun of me here at the brewery because I'll taste a beer and, and one of the, one of the first things I will complain about is if it's too bitter. And when I say too bitter, I mean too bitter in the balance of everything. Sure. sure. And, and there are, cause I, you know, I, I love some highly bitter beers oh, and I can yeah. drink some hundred IBU beers. I'll drink beers. Pliny the Elder all day long, you know, Absolutely. but it's in balance. That's the thing. It's right, part of that. Right. And, and there's a lot of beers that aren't. And, um, there's a lot of new England IPAs that, uh, you get that hot, what they call a hot bite, right? And it's on the back of the, kind of back of the tongue. And what it is essentially, in my opinion, is that it, you're, it's like, if you, all you gotta do is, if you ever take a hot pellet, it doesn't matter what hot pellet it is. It can be a Citra, Mosaic, or Saz, or Cluster, whatever. It is just like, it's horrible. There's nothing good, there's nothing enjoyable about that. And that's that feeling Try I get on the back oh, with, yeah. that, with that, that. And some people like that. Uh, I personally don't, but, um, if you put too much, if you, if you've got too much hops in there, you're going to get not only that, but you also get that sort of that vegetal flavor, uh, and and I don't like that at all. Um, I, I really hate those flavors. Um, that's just my opinion. Doesn't that's not, you know that that's not necessarily wrong in, in this style, depending on what you're trying to do. But for me, we we just didn't like it, so we really backed off with hopping. And then the lactose, the first batch of. New England IPA or whatever you want to call it that Aaron did. <laughs> I remember there was so much lactose that the side of the glass was sticky, <laughs> and Ooh. that and that changed and uh, and we really backed that off too to get. Yeah. And you can make you know we actually make another uh, hazy IPA called Oat Shaker that we do occasionally and there's no lactose in it at all, and it tastes it's really great too. So um, you know it, it, it definitely lactose is a that's a heavy. That's a heavy weapon to wield. You have to be really careful with it. Let's talk about that. So you use you know, lactose in uh, Lejou. Yep, All absolutely. Right. Um, before we talk about that, uh, PackTech delivers the highest quality and most environmentally responsible packaging handles to the craft beer industry. PackTech handles are made from 100% post-consumer recycled material and are repurposed from recycled milk jugs. In addition, they're also 100% recyclable. PacTech recently launched its own recycling program to ensure PacTech handles are properly recycled and repurposed. They're easy to apply by hand or increase your packaging efficiency with their robust line of automated applicators. 
PacTech's packaging solutions deliver better market presence, enhanced consumer value, environmental awareness, and improved sales. PacTech handles are the smart and sustainable packaging choice. Contact PacTech today at 541-461-5000 and visit at www.pactech-opi.com. Also, Balancing Barley and Hops is your expertise, and Clarion Lubricants food-grade lubricants is theirs. The team at Clarion knows that when it comes to making great beer, you're the expert. And when it comes to supplying food-grade lubricants backed by service-oriented professionals, they're the experts. Clarion will work with you to create an efficient lubrication program that helps protect your brewery. To speak with an expert, dial 1-855-MY-CLARION, 855-692-5274. Or visit ClarionLubricants.com. Clarion Lubricants, the expert that experts trust. Uh, my son, we use Pactex, obviously, oh, yeah. and my my high school my high school child is uh, he's been here working this summer. He is so fast at applying Pactex. I don't need no machine because I can pay him a dollar an hour, and he does them really fast. I will not tell the Illinois State Department of Labor that you're paying, paying a minor a dollar an if hour they for met, that. If they met him, they'd be like, yeah, don't pay him anything. <laughs> pack tech, you Fail. should have a competition to have, like, see who can pack tech the fastest. You think your kid, your kid can he now pack tech? other? so other? fast. It's crazy. All right. All right. Well, you heard it, folks. Gary <laughs> Gary is throwing down the gauntlet. He will throw his son in Pat Tech application. Gavin's not going to be thrilled about this. Uh, against uh, any other brewery on that. So uh, I, I see a social media challenge coming would around be, that. That would be amazing. I want to see like the social media Pac-Tech videos. challenge. Like, there it how, is. How many Pat Tech applicators can you push down on cases in X number of minutes? Oh, there you go. Uh, there, I mean, I, I, you you can take video and put it out there on, right. the, on the We're socials. Gonna do it. We're going to yeah. do it. All right. All right, there you go, Gary. You got your next challenge. And another reason for your son to hate you. I've got plenty Master. for my kids to hate me, but, uh, you know, there you go. So let's talk a little bit about lactose. Uh, yes. You know, you mentioned that. Uh, it's kind of a hot-button issue among brewers. You know, the should we, shouldn't we, how do we need to label this, how do we need to be, you know, transparent about this to consumers. You know, there are a fair number of vegans out there for whom lactose is, you know, it's a, a non-starter. Yep. Um, you know, and so most most brewers are trying to, you know, figure out how to weigh that, the benefit of using it versus yeah. uh, what it contributes to a beer. From your perspective, uh, what are the pros and uh, what do you get out of it? How do you use it uh, in terms of kind of quantity and how you add it in order to achieve um, what you're looking for? And then, Well, it's, uh, all, it's all added in the brew kettle. And uh, the quantity, I don't even know because I don't brew here anymore. But uh, I, I, I actually don't know how much we use. You just make the use. social media posts? I just, yeah, I just do. Yeah, hell, I don't even do that anymore. But, um, you know, obviously lactose is non-fermentable, which is why it's right. used. Um uh, interesting story you said about labeling. I uh, tried. I tried to get um, just put the words "contains lactose" on a label and sent it to the TTB for their their uh, labeling approval, cola approval, as they call it. And they denied it because the regulations uh, state that I would have to put "contains milk" parentheses lactose so you have to you have to tell the the origin of where this this ingredient came from and i'm like that does that is the stupidest thing ever i'm not gonna put it contains milk that doesn't make any sense so uh we didn't put on there uh i think we could probably do it if you say with lactose i think you can do that 
I just thought the regulations are really silly to make that. Like, we were trying to make it clear, and they denied. I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to keep the label as it is for now. So I just thought the whole thing was just dumb. But um, You're government at work, people. Yeah. Now, as far as uh, I don't, I... Uh, and, and you can still release that without even actually mentioning it on the label. You don't have to mention it on yeah. there. And uh, we should. We're, we'll change the label. It, it's, yeah, it, 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 I, I understand it because people... People should know, especially if they're lactose intolerant or vegan or whatever. We're not trying to trick anyone, um, and we're not trying to hide anything. But um, as far as, you know, uh, I always find it when, when you know, there's controversy about what you should or shouldn't do in brewing, um, there, you know, you can – does it make good beer? Then do it, and uh, I don't think it really needs to be <laughs> – people don't really need to argue about it. I personally uh, – I no, I, I would you. rather not yeah. have lactose in beer just because I think we we as a society drink consume too much sugar as it is, um, and you can like I said with oat shaker and stuff and and I know uh, Trevor at uh, Old Irving Brewing not far from us he he uh, had a really nice uh, hazy IPA with with no lactose it was really tasty, and you can definitely do it I think uh, it it brings a couple of important things to this and it gives that little bit of sweetness and not too much yeah I don't want that cloying sweetness. And it brings that body, and it, it totally changes the beer. And I guess people can argue all day whether you should or shouldn't do it. But for this beer, for Le Jus, it's an integral part of it. But it, you, you got to keep it in check like anything else. So, Sure. No, I, you know, that that's perfectly fair. And I'm, I'm not trying to say you shouldn't do that. No, I got you. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to do it. I don't care what you want. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that I am even critical. I, you know, I... I, I I, and I love uh, you know milk stouts and imperial milk sure, stouts. Sure, yeah. Same Which kind is of so thing. weird because right. that's what I you know I'm drinking drinking milk stouts and then someone says oh you got to put lactose in an IPA and I'm like most people I was like what are you talking about? Right, it's perfectly fine in this thing and yeah. now in this thing. Oh my god, it's anathema. Yeah. We yeah. couldn't even possibly think about that. Yeah. No, no, I mean that's that's crazy, right? Yeah. And I think you're right. You may, you add the ingredients that you need in order to achieve sure. the thing, and there is certainly. Uh, you know a specific ex- you know experience of those hops and flavors of those hops that is heightened and accentuated by that the presence of that and it's so that weird. sweetness and and you know it takes I think you know and, I, and when I think about it psychologically I mean I, I think that there's that fruit expression that you capture from some of those hops flavors mm-hmm. yeah. that the human brain associates with sweetness and yeah. so if that you know, concurrent sweetness is not there to highlight that. Then you, you know, the brain finds it jarring, or otherwise doesn't get it in the same kind of level True. that yeah. you know you yeah. are you would if that kind of sweetness is there. And right. so you're spending a fuckload of money on these hops, right? <laughs> I mean, these are expensive, and that's what hops. it is. It is a these fuckload. Are, these are expensive hops, mm-hmm. you know, to, to push that kind of flavor yep. into the beer, you know, and why would you not do the next thing that you need to do to that beer in order to kind of highlight, amplify, accentuate those yeah, flavors but from those hops? It's just so incongruent with what I would think of as brewing, and I'm sure a lot of you know, I, I actually, there's there's always people who, you know, just hate New England IPAs, and I get it. And I, I know someone here in the brewing industry in Chicago, and they, they make it a point to make fun and hate them all they want. And I think that's hilarious. It's like, look, I, it's different. It's an, it's an evolution that no one expected, and 
who knows what's going to happen next? You know, we don't, it, it, it's opened my eyes to thinking, all right, well, what's next? You know, what's going to be the next exciting thing that none of us have thought of? You know, it, it's, and eventually, it's like you said, you know, you were one of those haters at one point too. Yeah, and you know, you pushed stuff so out weird. there and, and kind of making the jokes about it, and yeah. then, and then you found your entree to it, and then yeah. you changed your mind. And uh, well, it's funny because everybody, you know, I assume a lot of people say, "Well, you just did it to make money," and you know, obviously, there were financial considerations. But I love the style now. I don't want to drink it all the time. We don't drink it all the time here, but I'm drinking it tonight because I'm in the mood for it, and I I love the style. But it's like anything else. I don't want to drink it all the time. I don't want to drink regular IPAs all the time. So, but, I don't want to drink um, any beer all the time. There's nothing I want to drink all the time. No, no. And, you know, and, I, and I think you're right. What I enjoy about it is uh, you know, at, having spent some time in the Pacific Northwest and Yakima Valley sure. you know, uh, in the hops fields um, you know, with hops farms. So, like when you taste these beers, they taste like hops. They, they are such a beautiful expression of the mm-hmm. way that hops – offer flavor and you know and character outside of just bitterness and so you know when i taste those kinds of beers i experience you know the agriculture that goes into yeah. producing these kinds of things and so it's not even simply just like oh these are going to be profitable and they taste like fruit and that's money <laughs> it's you know but i mean it's this beautiful expression of what's possible sure. from that very agricultural perspective of Growers breeding hops, uh, developing hops, you know, expanding these you know these varieties in order mm-hmm. to produce these kinds of flavors, you know, and, and so it's just this beautiful flavor expression of the idea of flavor in hops themselves. You yeah, know? like there's nothing. Well, that's wrong. amazing. How can that be wrong? Right? It's amazing that it's been able, you know, like they, you know, and that this evolved uh, to be able with with co- this combination of yeast and lactose and the, and the process the hopping process and the bring to come out with this like you said this expression where we have to tell people there's no fruit juice in this I mean that's just amazing and it, it's it's mind-boggling so so let's drill down a little bit let's talk about what makes Le Joux, uh such a powerhouse that it is. Let me take a drink of my Lejeune. I would take some of mine, but I've finished mine. <laughs> so I, uh, we're gonna have to take a break here in a little bit yeah, uh, to refill up. a glass. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what do you want to know? So tell tell me a little bit about what it is that makes this. Uh, you know, uh, are you willing to talk about uh, you know, some of your yeast choice that goes into yeah, this? Yeah, I, I will definitely reveal some. Obviously, there's a Fair few enough. things we do sure, that sure. I don't think. A lot of breweries are doing so. Those obviously we keep close to chest, but um, uh, you know we we get our yeast from Omega, and we use their British L five, I believe is what it's called, and that's um, you know that's probably the yeast they propagate the most. Omega is here in Chicago; they're right down the street. So, but they supply a lot of uh, yeast to breweries all over the country now, and uh, it's the standard. I, I believe it's originally from Boddington's, is the which is hilarious uh, that that's where it's from. But that is the standard workhorse for the style. And we tried making this beer when we were first experimenting. We did it with all kinds of different. We did it with Belgian yeast. We did it with other English yeast. We did it with American yeast. Not because we expected to get the results, but we just wanted to try it. And sure enough, it, that's, that's, that, that, that yeast is the, the it, it's, uh, what for whatever reason the way it, it ferments and the way it works is different from other English strains. 
I believe you you just guys just did a podcast with that narrow. Yeah, game. with uh, one, Jeff from Narrowgauge. I didn't list it. You talked about maybe using different strains he or used, something. Used uh, British Ale Four from Omega, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we haven't tried that, but that's interesting. Uh, it's once again one of those things where you just assume everything's this way, and then you maybe find out it's not. But Absolutely. at least our experience. That is the yeast, and that is that is not a trade secret. Uh, but we're we're sitting out on the dock. I don't know if you've explained. <laughs> we're on the dock here. We're outside. Um, there's it planes from O'Hare. It is a it's beautiful, beautiful night here in Chicago. Yeah. There's uh, some bugs, and you can. There's a industrial some factory across the tracks over there. It's, you might hear their stuff, but anyway. So and cars parking. So. Um, we opted for the nice breeze out here yeah. versus the gorgeous bubbling of your fermenters. Yeah, it's a little warm in there. So. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so definitely that yeast. Uh, we go, right now, we go to four, we, we, we'll reuse it. F- we'll, we'll go to four generations with that yeast. Uh, when we first started brewing, you know, we had a lot of questions because a lot of uh, brewers, apparently, or some, just will just do it once and, and not reuse it. Yeah. And that is not, we, we get just as good a beer on three, two, three, and four as we do on one. Okay. And, uh but what we do, <clears throat> we pull that yeast uh, before we're dry hopping. Okay. So, you know, the common, you know, a lot of people assume that whole bio So you're not bio-transforming, yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, whatever, whatever, if that if, if that's actually a thing or not, um, which, you know, there's still, uh, it's yet, I guess, unproven or what's actually happening, but... Um, you still get that because there's still fermentation going on. Sure. We just don't want all that hot matter in our yeast, which could, in theory, prohibit it from doing its job. But um, so, yeah, and, and that's, that's not something we can. We learned that from some other breweries, and that seems to work really well for us. So that's what we do. And so do you crash and drop yeast and, and harvest, or uh, what's that process look like? Um, we do lower it a little bit. Um I have to be honest, I'm not the brewer anymore, <laughs> and even though I know most of this, I don't know all the details, all right, all and, right. uh, and so I don't want to say, uh, just because Aaron will be like, no, 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 you're, you idiot, that's not what we do. Uh, but we do, um, we do do some, we do lower the temperature a little and, bit, okay. and uh, to, to get a little bit of, of flocculation so we can get that yeast out of there for sure, uh, but not too cold, and... Um, and then once we get that yeast pulled, then we'll, you know, start the actual dry hopping. Um, so. How many, and you say you get about, what, three or four generations out of that yeast? Yeah, before? we go four generations with it. Yeah. We may, yeah. at some point, we'll go more, but right now uh, we're just not prepared to do that without some serious uh, planning and testing so that I don't lose 60 barrels of Lejeune due to a bad fermentation. So, And you got Omega down the street, so yes. uh, why not get a fresh pitch and, yeah, you know, exactly. and guarantee it, right? right. Rather than yeah. saving some money to take a little risk like that sure. just stops being worth it. Yep, Yeah. absolutely. So talk to me a little about the uh, the hops themselves. Uh, you know, I, I imagine you talk, you you know, that's public knowledge about what hops you're using. Citra, there. Mosaic, you know, nothing nothing sure. there. Easy uh, button hops, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the auto-tune of beer, yeah. as someone once told me. Uh, it's about 50-50. Uh, the exact amounts are uh, somewhat proprietary. I will tell you they're not as high as a lot of places sure. do. Um, and we do some kind of interesting things during the dry hopping um, that I also can't reveal now, are those hops you're get, selecting or are those hops that you're uh just those ordering? are just on our contracts really? that we're getting okay. we have we have yet to we're not fancy enough to go out to yakima and do the yeah. cuts and everything yeah. um but um 
uh, we've been doing uh, single variants, which you have Simcoe right there, where right. we literally only use Simcoe in the whole thing. Uh, we've done that with Citra and Mosaic. Well, those are obvious. But we're going to be going into some more interesting hops and some more, uh, you know, even like something like Centennial and just really kind of learn what these different hops can do on their own. And it keeps, you know, keep, we, we can, we're marketing the Lejeune brand and it's sure. literally the sure. same base beer and we're just changing hopping. And we've already learned quite a bit, like just how these different hops work and what they, like the Simcoe doesn't taste, I would not ever believe it's Simcoe. Uh, it tastes so completely different. Sure. That could also be how Simcoe's changed over the years too. It, you know, those hops can be kind of odd. Uh, some of these more aggressive hops, you know. Uh, with how they they taste and and smell over the years, and you know whatever that lot of Simcoe is that you just happen and to have, lot, and this kind of thing, and then yeah. the lactose and yeah. everything. So, and so you're not piggybacking on another brewer, uh, you know, and and pulling from their hop selection. These are uh, just what you're pulling out of your contracts. Yeah, yeah, these are our selection. contracts, and we're we're going to be looking into some uh, experimental hops. Uh, so we're going to keep riffing on that. Yeah, but. Uh, and that's a pretty that's worked out really well for us because people uh, are excited to try it and we just basically we have the same label and we change the colors and we do this all Aaron our brewer design sure. he designs most of these labels wow he's the closest thing we have to an artist and then I usually go in and tweak them sometimes I change it quite a bit but I'm, I'm always I, I know I, I can go in and change uh, change everything and, and get it consistent uh, enough and change colors and stuff to get it where we want it and then uh, yeah so that's what we've been doing with it so you mentioned some proprietary things and bright and dry mm-hmm. hopping, and yep. I won't push you on those. Sure. That you know, good because I ain't gonna tell you shit. Well, I, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna like try to you know do what I can to weasel around on some, <laughs> some sideways entries yes. into that yes, that yes. kind of thing and see see what of those secrets I can eventually like pry from you <laughs> in, in kind of roundabout ways. But yes. no, but no, that, seriously. Uh, you know, for, you know, you you've got a twenty barrel brew house. Yep. You know, you're you're brewing. You know, sometimes triple batching into a you know sixty barrel tank for mm-hmm. for something like Lejeune. Yep. Um, due to the crazy demand for this kind of beer. Yeah. Um, what does that dry hopping process look like for you? Are you popping tanks open and dropping in? I we mean, literally climb up a ladder. We have ladder hooks. We have a, a forklift that raises the boxes up, and Aaron's usually the guy up there with a big big ass funnel, dumping those in. Uh, at the different times and uh, and uh, we've noticed we've been experiencing hop creep which is kind of a relatively new phenomenon that people have really started talking about the last few years and I was just listening to the MBAA podcast about sure, it last sure. week with uh, people from Bells and Allagash and we definitely noticed it and uh, we've started using a spunding valve that we got from GW Kent which is like 400 bucks but uh, we've started, uh, we were noticing not only were we getting a whole bunch of CO2 coming out, and we originally thought it was just nucleation. Right. And then we started seeing <laughs> the gravity would drop like another Play-Doh. And that's where we like, hmm. And then we have we hired our, our, our newer brewer, Trevor, here, who used to work for Haymarket here in Chicago. He He's the one that sort of, he and Aaron kind of figured this out. So uh, we started using the spunding valve, which allows us to control how much CO2 blows out. And then we can retain CO2 to, so it carbonates naturally. It's a German German sure, thing. Sure. It's, it's a very old idea. And it's actually improved the flavor of the beer. That's so what's driving those slow pour pilsners right now, too. Yeah. So I, so, I highly, I'm a big fan of the, I, I knew of them. Uh, and and it seems like it's kind of been lost in, in, the, in modern brewing. 
but it's it's a great it's really amazing you know of the of the brewers that i've talked to different brewers have different approaches to this yeah uh, certainly and we've talked about this a bunch of times whether it's sean from cerebral or uh jeff Irway from la cumbre uh you know and different breweries have different approaches to this you know jeff's approach was like hey i just want to uh, do whatever I can to like you know keep those temperatures high, accelerate the process mm-hmm. of hops creep so that that secondary refermentation happens and then finishes. Yeah, and that I can clean that, clear that beer up, and then you know keep moving forward. You know, there it sounds like you are actually trying to prevent that hops, you know, that refermentation from happening from what increasing the hydrostatic pressure by. Uh, no, know, we 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 are not we're not keeping it from happening. What we're trying to do is is. Um, we were just getting a lot of blow out of the CO2. And you don't want to lose that, that blow off because yeah. that's taking aroma out of the beer yeah. with it, of course. So this was a, an idea where, hey, we could probably accomplish a couple of things here. Yeah. Uh, we can... Uh, so the fermentation is still going to happen. Absolutely. Even under that pressure. Yep. You're just trying to recapture the aroma and yep. keep those aromatic compounds yeah. within the liquid while which, that which fermentation is happening. in theory, that happening. should be what's happening. Yeah. You know, that could be one of those things. Uh, uh, nothing surprises me anymore. You could take two samples, one that was spun and one that wasn't, and find sure. out they got the exact same out. Yeah, who right. knows? But right. but for us, I mean, it, it obviously saves CO2, which I'm a big fan of. Sure. And it seems silly to... Why and, buy and that from the natural uh, gas, you and know, you're petroleum just put industry? It right, yeah, yeah, it's just going to go right back in. So... Uh, to me, and it saves time, it's just, and it makes a better quality beer. So, and our guys love, you know, they they firmly believe that you get a higher quality carbonation. I think that's one of those, you know, I don't know, I, I don't know if I believe that, but you know, whatever. It's uh, everyone has opinions on that too, but there's I don't I don't not I don't see it. I don't see a a downside to it. Sure, you know, there's no downside at least for our system and how we do it. So I'm a big fan of it. So I'm glad we just started doing it like a couple months ago. So I'm like, spun fucking every beer. <laughs> There's a great article about spunning in the next, actually the current issue, the uh, Stout issue of Craft Beer Bring Magazine. Just, oh, yeah? Just throwing it out there. You know, shameless promotion. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Absolutely. Uh, you know, in the context generally of lagers, and, and uh, you know, it approaches it through the Beerstadt Lager House, you know, kind of approach to spunding uh, in, in that kind of traditional sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you're right. There's a quality to that carbonation that uh, is a little bit different than the quality yeah. of a forced carbonated, uh, yeah. you know, carbonation. And, and while it makes a difference in Pilsners, I, I think you're actually, you know, it, have an interesting point there that can make a similarly uh, important contribution even to something like an IPA. Right, right. And obviously we, we carbonate uh, Lejeune lower, which is a pretty standard... Uh, I think it's, uh, let's say, one and a half volumes instead of two and a half. Okay. I may be wrong on that. Aaron, Aaron would probably punch me. It might be two. Something more than but, Apparently, uh, I'm talking to the wrong guy for this makes, podcast. It makes a huge difference, though, if with, well, you probably are, but it makes a huge difference with the, if it's too carbonated. And that yeah. was one of the first yeah. things I, one of the I'm like, what? Why do we have to carbonate low? And we experimented with that, and we discovered, sure enough, it's a mouthfeel. Um, it makes a huge difference. And it just doesn't seem to work with a hazy IPA to have that high carbonation, at least yeah. for us. You know, I'm sure there's other people who say, nope, we're doing it regular and it works great, which, you know, that's fine too. But for us, I think conceptually, doesn't. you look, you know, you can, you know, think about how that kind of, uh, you know, carbonic acid in, uh, you know, CO2 
is adding you know a bite to those you know to these beers that is counteracting the kind of softness yep. and sweetness that you're pushing in there exactly you know, what through, it is through yep. these other other elements and mm-hmm. you, you know right i can see why that lower carbonation level is going to help these other things that you're working so hard to push yep. into that beer help express themselves more. yeah it makes a huge difference carbonation makes a huge difference on any beer sure Sure. sure. Now, you mentioned uh, uh, multiple dry hop uh, editions a mm-hmm. second ago, just yep. in an offhanded way, and uh, mm-hmm. you completely expected me to ignore I knew the, it. I knew it. The fact that you mentioned that. Let's talk about that because, you know, certainly after, uh, you know, the, the uh, Narrow Gauge podcast where we started talking about the difference between double dry hopping and multiple <laughs> stage dry hopping. Uh, which uh, some brewers had actually texted me like, oh, you know, you're de- you know, defining the difference between these things. Uh, there is a difference between two-stage dry hopping, double dry hopping. Um, you know, for you, what is that? What does the dry hopping process look like that allows you, uh, as you said, to capture the kind of hops flavor, but uh, also avoid some of that kind of vegetal note that can happen through kind of longer uh, contacts with hops? Well, we definitely do two dry hop additions um, at different Multiple times. Multiple stage dry hops, okay. Yeah, is, that, okay. Is, that, is that the actual? That's, that's the term that Vinny wants me to use okay. on that. Multiple okay. stage or two stage dry hopping. Yeah, which is funny because uh, the, the whole DDH thing is it's just funny to me. I mean, yeah. it's almost like a, a it's, it's kind of a marketing term now. Which is funny because the beer we were just drinking was DDH Simcoe Lejeune. That's a marketing term. It's totally a marketing term. Lejeune is double dry hopped. Um, but uh, Even just regular yeah, Lejeune. Yeah, totally regular. And you don't include that. But when it comes to selling something as special, yeah. you might just add that term because it applies. It applies. Yeah. And, and we're not lying. Makes it feel it's special to a consumer, right? It, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, it's just funny because I, I don't know where that term came up, but... Beer. There's been a lot of beers double dry off a long time before that term came out. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. And Which then, is Vinny's point when he, uh, yeah. he's talking about it. It's like, uh, yeah, you know, we've uh, pretty much always uh, quote-unquote double dry hopped Pliny the Elder because we do two-stage dry hopping. I said know? that. I've been saying that for a long time. When yeah. I first heard DDH, I go, Pliny the Elder is a DDH. I'm like, they've been yeah. doing that for years. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, uh, so we um, – yeah, so we do two different dry hop editions, and uh, for us, uh, the big the big thing is to uh, we don't let it sit really long. I mean, we're we're letting it dry hop for probably about a week. It depends. Uh, the other per edition, also, uh, no, we'll we'll do. Uh, actually, I don't know that either. So <laughs> now you're gonna hit me. I don't actually don't know what those editions are. But the uh, Gary, Gary, Gary. and probably Aaron doesn't want me to tell you anyway. Uh, but the thing is, is we we dump that uh, pretty regularly, um, so we don't like the hop sitting there a long time. Okay. We don't want to pick up that vegetal flavor, so sure. we do. So uh, you're pretty fast turnarounds on yeah. each of those dry hops. As far as that goes, we're constantly doing it warm, dumping uh, in order to kind of maximize extraction. Or you keep we it don't we to... keep it a little cooler okay. actually, and uh, and we actually had a uh, we we did an experiment. <laughs> That didn't turn out great, but we the temperature went too low, and you really saw a drop in the extraction. It made interesting. A, even at ten How degrees, how low did it go? It went down ten degrees, so about sixty degrees, and okay. it was for us. It just changed everything. Really? So, uh, yeah. So we we do do a little bit cooler. Uh, we don't let it get warm uh, necessarily, and uh, we do a lot of dumping the cone to get that stuff out. It also helps clear the beer up when I say clear, but you know, like get rid of that hot matter. Cause right, we, right. I don't want hot matter in this beer 
I, I well, there's just, the difference between gross. those those really lovely you know fruit flavors mm-hmm. and then the kind of cutting sharp uh, 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 you know kind of hops burn flavors that you're talking about they That's, almost have like a, a you know a, a, a cutting herbal you know burn to them and that's we're trying to avoid that now i i and early on we definitely got that in some of our our beers yeah and uh it, we seem to have avoided it now but it's uh, i do not like that that's it, not something i like in beer at all uh, you know most people don't um although it's weird i mean there are some brewers i've talked to where their consumers ask for that now yeah. you know it's almost like uh you know it's like uh what um uh, Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, you know. <laughs> we're, we're, well, yeah, like this is what I get. So now I've grown to like this. And uh, well, yeah. I think you know, there's nothing wrong with it per se. It's just you know, personal tastes. But you know, uh, for us, it's just not something we like. So sure, that's how we do it. Fair enough. Yeah. So uh, so what is it? What what is the you know that that core thing that makes uh, Lejeune? I what think it is? I think the. How do you think about it and define it yourself? I think, like, if you want to boil it down to what I think the secret is to it, uh, is we just don't put as much dry hops in as a lot of people do. And yeah. We don't. Um, we just don't. We've tried higher, and, and A, it just makes it more expensive, and I don't think it tastes as good. And so that's a pretty easy, easy uh, thing to sure. do is, is sure. to back that off. And, and I think you get... I don't want it to take like a hot, taste like a hot plant. I want it to taste like, yeah. like you said, express the hops that are in it. Without all that vegetal and 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 that hop bite and, and all that, so um, it's not a it's not an arms race. So uh, we 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 like we like our beers a little more subtle. That's just kind of how we do it. And in this case, it worked out. But you know, a lot of people want stuff really aggressive, and and that's just not the world we live in. You know, we don't really we've done maybe one imperial stout ever. Uh, that's just not at least today not the world we live in where we do really big high alcohol big beers. So. Lejeune fits right in exactly with with what we are how we believe beer should be brewed. Sure. So we haven't really talked about the malt components of uh, you know mm-hmm. of the beer at all, but uh, you know that certainly I imagine has some sort of impact on the the way that the yeah the we've got are uh, you know we'll do we we have our base malt. Uh, it's mostly uh, country malts two row. They're base two row malt. Um, we have some uh, we have some wheat. Uh, we have some flaked wheat in there, uh, and some other stuff <laughs> that I do know, but I'm not allowed to say. So and, uh, oh, and okay. it, uh, okay. some couple of things that Aaron kind of fell upon that I think kind of gives it a little bit of a nuance that, uh, at first I was like, what? And I'm like, oh, so, um, but yeah, it, you know, that, that's, uh, there's got to be some That's sort of re- challenge for everyone out there to reverse engineer now. Yeah. What could he mean by that? Do you want to know a funny story about that? Sure. Uh, I won't say the brewery, but I was in, um, we were at Nashville at the Craft Brewers Conference last year. And a pretty well-known brewery from uh, your state came came Colorado. by us. Colorado, yeah. Uh, are you in Colorado? In oh, Colorado. oh your, your part, what's his name? Uh Hayden. Hayden, he's from Oregon originally. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, this anyway. Well, anyway, point is, it's in Oregon. Brewery from Oregon. Okay. okay. And they uh, they came and they saw our tag and they said, "Hey, Lejeune, you know, GBF." We're like, "Yeah." And he goes, uh, "We um, we uh, we started uh, actually no, this was before GBF actually, right? Yeah, 
That was Nashville. CBC? Nashville? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. So he came out and he said, uh, yeah, we've uh, got a guy who's originally from Chicago, and he comes in, and he brings us Lejeu, and we're going to start making a hazy IP. So we've been taking Lejeu and putting it in the lab and examining it and running it through all their spectrometers and all these, you know, whatever the thing, all the devices they have. And so I started that laughing kind of level of brewery, huh? and I laugh. I, those made me laugh. And they were kind of trying to get some info out of us. And I'm like, yeah, I go, they asked and I'm like, yeah, that's one way you could do it. And I just kind of laughed at that. I'm like, you guys got way more money than we do. I'm not telling you shit. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate, you know, <laughs> imitation is the highest form of flattery, but uh, not in this case. But, uh, you know, it's just super competitive. It's not like, you know, we're not like super crazy secret. But this, this beer, we, we worked really hard on. Yeah. And we just, it's, it's, uh, it's our baby. And right now it's, it's determining the whole future of this business. So, uh, you know, I, 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 uh, if, if we were a gigantic beer, I'd be like, yeah, here's the whole recipe. Here's everything about it. But uh, at this point, uh, I can't. So what is the scope? How many, how many uh, barrels per year do you all produce, and how much of that now last, is uh, Le Joux? Last year, total barrels of beer was about 1,200. This year, we're going to do at least 2,400, and that's just because of limited capacity. I'm, I'm working yeah. on new financing to expand the brewery. Uh, not crazy, just uh, probably a centrifuge. So winning that GABF medal has doubled your... Uh, I brought those 360s in yeah. after we won that because we didn't have those, and they're sure. all three full of Lejeu at any given moment. So I would say you know, at least probably 60% of our production is Lejeu right now, and we could make it 100%. Um, <laughs> And still not have enough. And I only sell yeah. it. We only sell it in Chicago in the suburbs. We yeah. don't, we don't yeah. go outside the state. We don't even have, I don't even have part of Chicago covered with my distribution network, nor do we have the rest of Illinois. So um, we just, I just don't want to do it like that. Even if I had the money, I just don't think it, uh, I just don't think it's smart. I, I think we don't just let it, we want to keep the quality and do, you know, grow it organically, if you will. And uh, so, yeah, this year, you know, my goal, you know, I really want to hit that 3,000 barrel mark. That's kind of a, a nice mark to hit as far as just knowing that you can sleep at night without having to worry about pay bills and all that stuff. But it's made a huge difference for us. So, And every single week, that is by far the top-selling beer in our tap room, hands down, unless we have a Lejeune variant, <laughs> which is crazy. So Yeah. It's all about that DDH version, isn't it? Yes. You slap that DDH on there. But, yeah, so... For sure. But yeah, it's been life changing for us for sure. And uh, it's been, you know, we were just really thrilled to death. And it's nice because we get people coming in, you know, that have had some of the other well known hazies from the East Coast. And they're like, yeah, we love yours more. And that's nice to hear, you know. Um, but there's also not people lining up for three miles to come in and buy <laughs> the beer yet. But we still, I mean, part of it's because we sell it through distribution so it's all yeah. over chicago and the suburbs so and it's all over being quickly. a relative term for a brewery that only produces 24 yeah barrels per year. yeah so we don't have it everywhere and that's there's certain places we just like certain stores we don't really care to do it just because yeah. we don't want to sit there but uh from that retail you know, strategy i mean you have to want those you know those cans to sell within a couple of weeks so that they're yeah. nice and fresh yeah you know and i think you know to some degree the you know constraints around distribution uh, almost guarantee that any you know beer that you put out there on shelves is going to sell within that kind of time frame. Huh? Yes, it 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 almost always does. But you can't control everything. I mean, any brewery that distributes will tell you. You know, I, I 
we found one of our guys found a, a case of or a four pack of phobophobia which is a belgian table beer we used to make we don't we have it on tap right now but we don't can it it was a year old and and we hadn't brewed it for a year and a half <laughs> and he found that in a store and i was like oh my god that's awful but uh that's not a problem with Lejeune. It, it tends to go pretty quickly. So, how does a small brewery like? I mean, larger breweries and distributors, you know, tend to police and retail counts. The you know those kind of uh, you know, date codes and good retailers should be pulling that stock when it gets to. They rarely do. You know, to be too old, right? You know, and that's I mean that's kind of the the challenge that all craft brewers face in this general market. Yeah. What the expectations are for a retailer. And for, you know, uh, the distributor that you're giving a good chunk of revenue to in order to get your beer out there yep. doesn't always reflect itself in, you know, the same kind of aggressive policies for making sure that all of your product is within date code. Yes. Um, you know, and then smaller, you know, breweries that are that are self-distributing uh, are often don't have the time and staff in order to kind of police that and check the shelves and make sure that their product out there yeah, for sure. is within that kind of code and that the consumers are getting it in a, in a fresh kind of way. Um, you know, which kind of leads back to that, you know, now within the world of craft beer, one of the best retail experiences buying directly from the brewery. Uh, you know, you've got a couple of, uh, you know, cold cases right there in your tap room where yep. people can come up and they can buy that, you know, buy fresh beer and they know yep. it's going to be you know within probably a week or, or two yep. weeks max of of release and the freshest thing they can possibly experience if yep. that's a value to that consumer mm-hmm. that's certainly got it has to be the best consumption mode for right. it or best purchase mode for it it's yeah we i mean we sell a lot of cases of beer through the tap room for sure including of course lejeune but uh, yeah yeah, that, that's been a huge, you know, that, that's been a huge revenue generator for us, which is great because, you know, obviously you make all your way better margins when you sell it yourself. And, uh, you know, it's great. People get to come here and buy that beer fresh and not have to worry about it sitting on the shelf because it does not. And it's kept cold the entire time it's here at the brewery. So there's you never get beer that was kept warm. So that's yeah. nice for sure. So, Gary, tell me what's next for uh, for Alarmist. Uh, well, like I, I think we talked, I'm probably going to start a porn site. Uh, <laughs> I think we can make a lot of revenue with that. I, I don't know. I honestly, I think the margins for porn are, are pretty tight these days. <laughs> Interesting uh, choice of words. Much, much part, much tighter than, than for craft beer. Yeah. Uh, I Is don't... that an interesting choice? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, we, you know, we're always, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm my, my first my, right now, my mind is Folks mostly... Folks get to share that stuff illegally with no profit going back to the producers, where it's really hard to duplicate that for Lejeune. Le that's true. So maybe I won't do that. Okay. Uh, maybe I'll just stick with beer. Maybe that's a better... Yeah, to hell with it. I won't do it. Yeah. But I uh, I don't know. We're... Uh, we... Um you know what we and for the folks that are listening, that goes back to a joke Gary was presenting to our Brewery Accelerator <laughs> crew here earlier. And uh, someone asked him, like, if you were going back and do it again, what would you do differently? And his answer was, I'd start a porn site instead of a brewery. <laughs> and I don't know. If, I didn't know if I was going to go completely silent, but it got a few laughs. But uh, that one couple did not think that was funny. No, no, that uh, one couple did but not. But it made me it made me laugh. Uh, obviously, uh, we, we will continue to push Lejeune. Um and variants, but I'll be honest, if we had to do that all day long, we'd probably lose our goddamn minds. Uh, 
So uh, my first goal before the end of the year is to expand, get some new equipment in here so we can package faster and better. Uh, probably a centrifuge uh, to, to get the beer through faster uh, and, and better quality as well. Uh, a couple, you know, a lot of stuff I want to do there. And then as far as beer goes, um, I don't know. I've got some, you know, probably for me personally, my, uh, I, if I could choose anything, I would love to really de delve into spontaneous fermented Lambic style beers, which is completely different than what we do. And that's something that we just haven't really spent time on. And that's probably one, that's probably something I should have told your, your, your group that came through today is one of the things I've really learned with a small business is you only have so many resources, meaning people and money, and you don't, you can't do everything. You just don't have the time. So, um, you have to really try to focus on what makes the most sense for your business and go from there. And I would love to like really delve into you know, even have a separate warehouse where we keep these beers. And I, I'm not really interested in bourbon barrel beers, not really interested in that side, but just like using oak barrels just for the fermentation capacity and just make like completely spontaneously fermented beers and just see where that goes. I think that would be really fun, but that's going to be a while, but someday I want to do that. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to taste those beers when you yeah, make them Yeah, well, if they're good, I'll let you. If not, I, I won't. We actually have some original barrels over there with a lot of Brettomyces. And we brewed those a long time ago, and the actual base beers were not <laughs> terrific. So we're going to dump those and actually probably just reuse those barrels and uh, use the Brett that's in there, maybe. That, that's something we have to look into. And we'll probably inoculate and, and you know do a cool ship and all these things someday. That's what I really, really want to do. So. Well, there you go. Yeah. So uh, if people want to learn more about Alarmist, where do they find you? Uh, .com. Um, you know, we have, a, you know, our all of our uh, social media accounts are Alarmist Brewing. We have some pretty funny uh, stuff on Instagram. Uh, we're pretty, uh, we're, we're, everyone here is pretty fun, has a pretty good sense of humor, and uh, we, we definitely have a lot of fun. So uh, that's, that's absolutely the best place um, for now. And, uh, you know, eventually I, I keep trying to put a newsletter together, but I haven't actually got to that. I should probably do that. <laughs> I don't know. We're just or, busy. Or just keep making more Lejeune. Yeah, or make know. more Lejeune. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Well, if you've enjoyed this podcast, we hope you go to beerandbrewing.com and uh, click on the subscribe button and subscribe to Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine because, uh, you know, that is our bread and butter. And what we do is uh, our primary focus here at Craft Beer and Brewing. Uh, and that kind of subscription, uh, you know, you can kind of think of it as like a, a Patreon, except we actually send you a magazine every uh, every two months. You know? <laughs> instead so, of nothing. Instead of nothing. Instead of just listening to this and giving us money. You know, so it's, it's like a little perk there, right? <laughs> uh, you know, we, we think there's a positive to that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, go go to beerandbrewing.com. Click on that subscribe button. Uh, become a subscriber to the magazine. Help us keep bringing you great conversations like this one with Gary Gully of uh, Alarmist Brewing here in Chicago. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Uh, but in the in the meantime, go check out Alarmist. Go uh, trade your friends uh, in the Chicago area for a couple of cans of Lejou, um, you know, and uh, and get to try this uh, award winning, gold medal winning, Hazy IPA. That's right, Gary. Cheers. Thanks for joining. Yeah, me on the thanks podcast. so much. It's great to be here. Awesome. Cheers. You bet. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. For those that love to make and drink great beer, 
Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrewing.